0: You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. My daughter Kinsley, okay, she's almost three years old now and she has this little pink flashlight that she's absolutely obsessed with. And it's not a typical flashlight that shines a wash of light and illuminates an area. This, this one, it shines a picture on the wall or the roof or, or, the sur- or whatever surface you put it on. And it shines like a little picture. I think this one that she has shines a, a little rainbow or something like that. And so Kinsley came up with this game that she loves to play right before bed. And really, I think the passion for this game comes primarily from a desire to try and stay up a few extra minutes and not go to sleep. But here's how her game goes. We turn off all the lights in her room, and so it's super dark, and then she shines her little pink flashlight on the wall or on the roof or on her dresser, and I have to run around as fast as I can and try to hit the bright light and the projected image that she's kind of shown on the, the, the roof or the, or the wall or the dresser or wherever she is, and, and we play this game until I eventually catch it or I'm too out of breath to continue the game, and then I spend the next 20 minutes just trying to convince her to go to sleep. <laughs> I want to look at a section of scripture right now. It's Matthew chapter 2, and it It explores this journey of a couple guys who followed a star in the sky, but for them, winning the prize and arriving where that light led didn't only give them bragging rights with a sassy little three-year-old kid. The prize that they received would change the trajectory of their entire lives, and even the trajectory of the world. Matthew chapter two. So if you have a Bible in front of you, you can turn there right now or you can read along on the screen. Uh, We're gonna read it in small chunks today, sort of section by section as we work our way through the story. Starting in verse one, this is what it says. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the day of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Okay, let's pause there for a moment. These first couple verses kind of set the stage for the rest of the story that we're gonna look at. Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, has just been born. And, And Matthew, the author, he shares the details of Jesus' birth in the first chapter. And then this section... You might think of it as episode two of the Christmas story. It opens with these new characters, these sort of supporting leads. They're wise men. And they're traveling from the east, probably from Babylon or Persia, to the west, to Jerusalem, to find the king of the Jews. But who are these characters? Who are these so-called wise men? Well, there's this famous Christmas song. You might even be humming it right now already in your head. And and it it talks about these characters. Do you know what I'm talking about? We three kings of orientar, bearing gifts, we travel so far and on the song goes. And and the title itself places the identity of these men as what? As kings, that's how the carol goes. But here's the thing, that idea of three kings isn't actually anywhere in the biblical text or the supporting historical documents. Not only does it not say anything about these travelers being kings, we also don't know anything about how many of these travelers there actually were, maybe three. Maybe more, we actually don't know. There was three gifts, but there could have been many more men that were part of this group that was following the star to Jerusalem. I hope I'm not deconstructing your Christmas story too much. The word that's been translated here as wise men actually comes from the word magi, which is where we get the word magician. But but not a magician like Shin Lim or Penn and Teller or a Vegas act, these weren't illusionists like we maybe think of when we think of magician. These were astronomers. They would look to the stars for the answers to life's biggest questions. They were worshipers of the stars. Now, I'm not sure if it's the same for you, but I grew up thinking of these wise men as the good guys, as humble kings who saw a star in the sky and traveled far and wide to worship this king of kings. That's what I learned on the flannel graphs at Sunday school. If you grew up in church, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But as a number of scholars have pointed out, this is likely not what the original hearers would have heard or understood as they heard this story from Matthew about the wise men or the magi. They probably wouldn't have thought of these men as good or maybe not even as neutral. They were outsiders in race, they were Gentiles from the East, and they were also outsiders in profession, being that they were astronomers. Every other reference for, towards astronomers to magi in the New Testament is unfavorable. They were people who looked and who taught others to look to created things rather than the creator and his Torah for guidance. They they looked to their own calculations for wisdom, to zodiacs to deliver meaning. They were seen as idolaters, plain and simple. And not only that, but astronomers were a big part of Egyptian culture and God had delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt just a few generations before. And so the, the thought of astronomers may have even given some of the original hearers a sort of PTSD because it would have reminded them of the tyranny that their ancestors experienced back in Egypt. So for all of those reasons, to Israel and to the early church, the Magi would have been the least deserving guests at the birthday party of Jesus. So why did they make them into Matthew's telling of the Christmas story? Here's what I think, and and Dale Bruner, a New Testament theologian, helped me to see this. By placing Magi in the Christmas story, Matthew is telling us that God breaks through racial and cultural and moral barriers in his saving work. And he calls to himself the people that even society tells us are unworthy. The Magi are a walking illustration of the grace of God. And this is summed up beautifully in an Old Testament text where God says, I will show love to those who were called unloved. And to those who were called not my people, I will say, you are my people. And they will answer, you are my God. Get this, the the gospel of Matthew that ends with the great commission to go into all the nations with the good news, it begins at Christmas with this invitation of the nations, even an invitation to those who many would consider the least deserving. It's powerful imagery of this reversal that begins to take place at the Christmas story from foreigners to friends, from strangers, from outsiders to welcome guests. Let's keep moving. So the characters are astronomers. Their whole world is stars. And, and do you see what God uses to draw them towards himself? Stars. A star. The magi, you know, they say, they say, where is he who's been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, by including this in the story, Matthew is not saying that we should look to stars to find God, that if we wanna find Jesus, that we should look to his zodiac. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. But he is making a powerful point that God meets us where we're at and that he uses the things that have our attention, that he uses the affections of our heart to lead us towards himself, to lead us towards the only thing that can truly fill us. The Magi are led to Jesus by a star, The fishermen, later in Matthew's gospel, are led led to Jesus by fish. It's interesting. He engages us all uniquely based on our personalities and based on our upbringings and our passions and our occupations. One of the ways that God has done that in my life is through music. Especially when I was young, music was my life. I ate, slept, you know, lived music. It's all I wanted to do with my life is to write and to record and to tour and to be in a band, and I was good at it. But when I was in grade nine, my whole world fell apart, or at least that's what it felt like as a 14-year-old kid. I'd been homeschooled up until that time, up until grade nine. And some of you heard that I was homeschooled just now, and you're saying, okay, everything's starting to make sense about this guy. But I went to public school, or Catholic school actually, in grade nine. And, and that's where my parents also got a divorce, and my youth pastor, who I loved, left our church. There was a leader in my life that same year that got caught in serious moral failure. A myriad of other things were also going on, and, and during that time, I completely lost interest in God. A relationship with Jesus that had been so important to me all those years started to feel less important. I think I was mad at God for the state of my life in my family and so I put all that energy into music. I would practice and I would write and I would play literally two or three or four hours a day for quite a few years. I didn't really have any interest in Jesus or in a relationship with him. And then a friend invited me to start playing keyboard in the youth band at church and I reluctantly did it, which meant that I had to show up at youth group on Tuesday nights and slowly but surely, God began to heal my heart and through friendships and through community and through convictions that the Holy Spirit brought in my heart. God God used music, he used the thing that I actually loved more than him to lead me to a relationship with himself. And so the fact that God uses a star to lead astrologers to the manger shows us that God's willing to use anything to lead us to himself. The astrologists were looking for truth and meaning and purpose, but they were looking in all the wrong places. God met them in their journey for truth and he led them to find the deepest longings of their heart. And that gives me so much hope, especially in this age of deconstruction, where so many people are deconstructing their faith and their values, and maybe you find yourself there today not really sure what you believe anymore, searching for meaning, or maybe your kids are finding themselves there and they're listening to podcasts and reading books and experimenting with other worldviews and thoughts, and that can be so discouraging, especially when you've raised them to follow Jesus. But this story shows us that God is relentless in his pursuit of us, that he can even use things that are so far from his best. He can even use astronomy to lead astrologers to himself. There's this theological term called general revelation, and it's the simple idea that even creation itself points us to God. Romans 1.20 says it like this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, been understood through, through what's been made, through creation. And the idea is this, that even the trees and the mountains and the sunset and the sky and the stars point to creator God. You can't look at those things and not stand in awe of the one who made them. And just like he did for the Magi, God uses general revelation and the wonder of creation to lead people to himself. But general revelation in itself isn't enough. It wasn't for the Magi and it's also not for us. God met them where they were at. He used the star, but he didn't leave them there. General revelation got the Magi to the West. It got them to Jerusalem, but it didn't get them all the way to the Christ. Let's let's jump to verse three of our text. When Herod the king heard this, that there was the king of the Jews who'd been born, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired with them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judah, for so it is written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. It's interesting that the star, that that creation, that this this idea of general revelation doesn't lead the magi directly to Jesus. There's this intermediate stop in Jerusalem in the Israelite church where the scripture is opened and it's only then that the focus is finally given to the journey. Theologians have, have often referred to this as special revelation. Nature is general revelation, scripture, special revelation. And Dale Bruner, I think he said it so well when he said it like this, that God's revelation in creation raises the question and begins the quest. God's revelation in scripture gives preliminary answers and directs the quest towards the goal. And then finally, God's revelation in Christ satisfies the quest. So in our story about the Magi, you could, you could think about it like this. The star, which is general revelation, it leads the Magi to scripture in Jerusalem, a special revelation, which leads them to the Savior in Bethlehem. But here's the part in the story that gets me. Why didn't the religious teachers go to Bethlehem alongside the Magi to find the Christ? These were the ones that the promises were given to. Why didn't they go? Well, it seems like the religious teachers, they knew the prophecies intellectually but they didn't believe them enough to walk 10 miles down the road to receive the promises that lay present and breathing in the child. Outsiders believed the word and insiders ignored it. And and here's the application for us. It's possible to know your Bible, to be filled with theological truth and to miss Jesus in the process. You can even go to church your whole life and you can know all the stories and the morals, hear hundreds and hundreds of sermons. You can even have Hillsong worship as your number one played artist on Spotify and still miss Jesus. Some people even have that experience at Bible college or at seminary. I spent 10 years working at a Bible college in Surrey and I saw some people graduate just fully alive in Christ, more on fire for Jesus and his kingdom than ever before. And then others graduated with a deep theological understanding of things, able to exegete or interpret all sorts of Bible verses and these sorts of things. They knew Greek and Hebrew language better than I'll ever know it, but their inner life was in turmoil. They were spiritually complacent. Their minds were full of these great ideas, but they didn't allow those ideas to do a deep purifying work in their hearts and lives. So the sobering reality is it's possible to know scripture and miss Jesus. It's possible to be theologically astute, to know your Bible inside and out, but not let it affect your heart. Lord, let that not be true of us. Let's keep reading. Go to verse seven. It says, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when when it rose, went before them until it came and rested over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Okay, finally, the Magi have reached their destination. They reached the newborn king and they traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles to get there. It's this incredible moment. And what's their response when they finally encounter the living Jesus? Matthew writes in verse 10 and 11 that they were filled with this great joy. Actually, he says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and they fell down in worship of him. Filled with great joy, they worshiped. This is the only reasonable response when you encounter the living Christ is to worship, is to bow down in adoration. When we understand that God, the God of the universe would welcome us in, undeserving ones, those who were far off, those who who were were looking to idols to fill us, that he would draw us towards himself, would turn foreigners and outsiders into welcome guests. We worship, we're filled with gratitude, we stand in awe of his great love and kindness. John 3.16 is probably the most quoted scripture verse in all the Bible, but it says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, take note of that word whoever, whether it's Jews or Gentiles, men or women, all ethnicities, every tribe, every tongue, people of every socioeconomic status, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The incarnation of Jesus, it ushers in this welcome of all people into the family of God. What John sums up in a phrase in John 3.16, Matthew describes in this story. In the story of the Magi, the invitation of all people, even the least likely people invited to the birthday party of the king. As we conclude, let's just look at that very last verse of the story. So to recap, God has led the Magi to Jesus. He's used nature and he's used their interests and occupation as astrologists. Uh, through the prophecy and scripture, he's also used that. And he's weaved it all together to bring them to Bethlehem where the baby's born. And they worshiped him and they offered gifts. And then in verse 12, it says this, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. That verse stuck out to me this last week, and it's a pretty remarkable and profound ending to the story. They go home a different way. They leave Bethlehem different people than they were when they set out on their original journey. And it's the same for us. When we encounter the living Jesus, we're never the same. The old way of life doesn't fit us anymore. We go home a different way. And like the journey of the Magi, the journey home can, can be filled with pit stops and sometimes desert nights that get dark. And there's even wild animals and wolves along the path, but our destination is secure as we follow him through all of life's challenges until the day when we see him face to face. Jesus is our way home. He's the truth, he's the life, he's the way, amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we're we're thankful for this story that reveals so much about your heart and your love and your welcome. Just this idea that you would invite the least likely participants at your birthday party, that you would invite Magi, tells us so much about your welcome to us. You would make foreigners friends. I pray that we would be people who embrace that, who who come to you, who come close to you, but also who extend that welcome to others. That we would be changed by encounters with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of C.A. Church.